that as we've been talking about this idea of loving God with all our heart, our soul, our strength, our mind, and also loving our neighbor as ourselves, what we see is something so close to the heart of God, loving others, caring for others. James even tells us that, man, pure religion, true religion is when we're taking care of the orphans and the widows. He says that's what it's really about. We even see that in Acts 2 and Acts 6, where the early apostles, the first the first church leader said, this is important to take care and love our neighbors. We see it through the Psalms of how God takes care of the oppressed. He takes care of the fatherless, those that can't defend themselves, the weak. We see that as such a close part, close, close to God's heart and a huge part of his heart. But what's fascinating to me is he has no plan B in taking care of others. We're it. Church, we are it. Big C Church, not us little local Mountain Lake Church here. No, Big C Church, as followers of Jesus, we follow in his footsteps by loving our neighbor as ourselves, by serving one another just like Jesus served us. We are his plan A, and that's the only plan he has for taking care and loving and serving others. We might be thinking, there's great organizations out there that are doing that really well. We have a government that loves to love those around them. We have, that was sarcasm, by the way. We have schools. Isn't it the school's job to take care of? And those are great programs, and there's great organizations that do that, yes. But we are still plan A. When Jesus said, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself, he didn't say, and if that doesn't work, here's the plan I'm going to put in place. We, as followers of Jesus, we have the opportunity, the responsibility to love and serve others. That's why we celebrate big time. That's why we do the bounce houses and the hot dogs and make a big deal about serve week because that's us aimed in the right direction. But we can't view it as a, oh man, I'm glad serve day's done. Whew, don't have to do anything for anybody else for a whole year. I'll work up to it next year again. No, the, the hope is that that aims us in the right direction and, and we have moments where we're real organized in it, but our life of following Jesus is that loving God and loving our neighbor as ourself that has to just be who we are and what we do because we are plan A for taking care of other people. We are it. Jesus was trying to explain this to his disciples. I want you to see this, what, what he tells them. He, he shows kind of two sides. Here's what the world does and what they focus on, but here's what I'm asking you to do. Matthew chapter 25, Jesus called his disciples together, and he said this. He said, you know the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Gentiles is anybody that's not a Jew. So Jesus is talking to his disciples, said all the rest of the world, the things that they've been given, notice how they usually use it. They're using it for either selfish reasons or self-promoting purposes, status, up, status elevations. It's, it's about them. We talked about that last week, being a good steward with what we have been given. And look at how he then contrasts that with his followers. Verse 26, and I want you to say these four first words with me out of verse 26. It starts with not, so we're all on the same page. Say it with me. Not, not so with you. Jesus, here's how the world operates. But what was it again? Say it with me again. Not so with you. Not so with me. Not so with you. Jesus says we as his followers must be different. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be the first must be your slave. And here we go, verse 28. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many says, this is how I'm going to pave the way for you, disciples and early church leaders. 
I'm going to do this. You do the same thing. We serve others. We are plan A. There's no other option. It's not us. Who else is going to do it? Us as the global church, as followers of Jesus, not so with you. May we have a lifestyle of compassion and serving. But that's kind of hard to unpack, right? Jesus takes all the law and sums it up as what we've been talking through. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your strength, your mind, the seconds like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. But just those two commands is still a lot to unpack. What does it really mean to love God? What does it really mean to love your neighbor as yourself? So that became more of these topics of conversation throughout Jesus' ministry where he was trying to explain this because this was all new. The Jews were used to following over 600 laws to please God, to show their love for God. And now Jesus is saying, no, love God, but love one another. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do those things. They're like, what exactly what does that mean? How do we actually live that out? There's a story that we're going to look at this morning, Luke chapter 10. If you have your Bible's head there, that's where we're going to land the rest of the morning. But you have this individual who scripture tells us he is an expert in the law. So he's like the Jewish lawyer. And he comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus... What exactly, he uses this word, what exactly do I have to do to have life? And Jesus says, you're the expert in the law, you're the lawyer, you tell me. What do you read? What do you think? What do you see? Scripture saying. He says, well, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your strength, your mind. And the second's like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, you've got it. Yes, the expert in the law was right. You've nailed it. Do just that. But then the expert in the law, this lawyer, came up with another question, and if you are a lawyer, you're going to love this, because this is just going to speak your language. Look at what he says here, verse 29 of Luke chapter 10. But he, talking about this expert in the law, he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? I love that. Okay, Jesus, I'm supposed to love God, I get it, I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself, I get that. But Jesus, who exactly is my neighbor? I need you to spell this out for me so I don't accidentally love somebody that's not my neighbor. It's basically what he's saying. See, we have a circle of people that we interact with regularly. Jesus, I need you to draw a circle around me and tell me who's in and who's out. Who do I love? Who do I not have to love? Who are you telling me to love and who do I not have to worry about loving? Who are my neighbors? I need you to be very, very clear, Jesus, because I don't want to make a mistake on this one. Who do I need to love. Who is my neighbor? We ask that same question. We might not say it like that, but we do want to know, okay, what exactly do I have to do? Give me a line drawn in the sand so I know exactly what I must do. And what we're really getting at here is I need to know exactly how much to do so I don't accidentally do too much. We want that bare minimum, right? Oh, good. I loved my neighbors this week, all three of them. Whew, I'm glad that worked out because Jesus only told me it was these three people this week. That's what we're looking for. We want it to be super clear so we don't just think of that as everyone being our neighbor. So here's what Jesus does. This is fascinating. He actually doesn't answer this man's question. In fact, he gives him a story, fictional story. We call it a parable where Jesus says, here's what this is meaning. And he's going to kind of slow it down for us. So let me give you a scenario, fictional story, but it's going to prove a point and in a way... Not exactly, you're going to see this, but in a way it's going to answer this man's question. The expert in the law wants to know exactly who is his neighbor. And here's what Jesus said, verse 30. In reply, here's what Jesus said. Here's the story, parable. Remember, fictional story, but proves a point. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho 
when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, in other words, not so with you, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. Now hold up there for a second, because Jesus, as he's telling this story, is bringing into play four, but really three characters. You have the man that was left for dead, that was beaten and left for dead, and then you have these three other characters that would have resonated with his with his crowd, with this culture. And you do have to understand the context because that road that Jesus spoke of, this man was traveling from this place to that place, that road really existed. And it was well known that it was a dangerous road. So even though it's a fictional story, Jesus begins to tell this story. And most of the people in the crowd, and especially the expert of the law, would have been thinking, yeah, I've, I've actually been down that road and it is dangerous. I've heard of the stories of people getting hurt down that road. So this would have connected, it would have resonated with them, but this first character, who was it? Do you remember how did Jesus describe this character? He was a, he was a priest. He was a priest. For the expert of the law, notice that the priest held a higher authority. The priest was the one that entered the temple for the Jews. The, the priest was the one that offered the sacrifices. The priest was more at the top, not just authoritatively, but in their religiosity as well, in their religion. It said that this priest saw a man, and he had a decision. And you're going to notice as we look at each of these three characters, they all saw the man. In fact, if you go back and look at your Bible, it says, saw, saw, saw. You see each and every one of them, the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan, all saw this man, but they each had a specific decision to make. So the priest saw the man... What's he going to do? He had a decision. He decided to pass by on the other side. So Jesus introduces a second character. This one, how did Jesus describe him? He was a, a Levite. You ready for some Old Testament history lessons? You ready for them? Because so many of you care what a Levite is and means, right? Let me give you a really brief understanding just so you can see how, this character, how these characters flow. The priest also would have been a Levite. To be a priest, you also had to be a Levite. A Levite is just basically a family name, came from uh, that tribe, right? So the priest was also a Levite, but he was also a priest. Now, this Levite was not a priest, but because he was a Levite, had a lot of other religious duties. This Levite would have known the scriptures, maybe not an expert, but would have known the scriptures very, very well. Would have followed the law very, very well. It would have been a top priority for this individual but wasn't a priest. So more of a commoner than the priest, but still in the same line of following God, following his commands. Now this Levite, very similar situation. Jesus tells us that he also saw him, saw the man left for dead, and also had a decision to make, just like the priest decided to pass by the man on the other side. Then we're introduced to a third character. Jesus described this character as what? A, a Samaritan. Now, you got to understand this context as well. The Jews and the Samaritans did not get along. That would be an understatement. I mean, this is like trying to get Georgia Bulldog fans and Georgia Tech fans to hang out at Thanksgiving together. It's not going to happen. You can't have that happen. The, and there's a long backstory of why and, and all these things. You don't really need to know anything other than Jews, the priest and the Levite, 
would not have thought anything of the Samaritan. In fact, many translations actually call it here in the text a despised Samaritan. Because that's exactly how the Jewish people would have viewed him, a despised Samaritan. The Samaritan, very similar to the other two characters, says that he also saw him, but there's a different response here. It says he saw him, but do you remember that word? But he took what on this man? Pity. And if you were here last week, if you weren't, no worries, we're going to catch you up. There's a word that I taught you last week. Do you remember this word? You're supposed to practice it all week. Do you remember? Splagnitsomai. You remember that word? Splagni. You got to say it like that. We talked about it. Remember, splagnitsomai means the innermost bowels, and it moves us to action. It's that I feel sick to my stomach because what I've witnessed. It's that kind of a feeling. The priest and the Levite did not feel those two things. They pass by on the other side, but Jesus says this Samaritan, whom the Jews despise, oh, he felt this pity, that compassion, that splagnitsomai. They felt it. Now, church, if I'm to be very candid and very honest, and I'm going to lump myself into this. This is not a you thing. This is an us thing. I feel we get dangerously close to being more like the priest and the Levite, and here's why I mean that. The priest and the Levite loved God, no question about it. They followed God to the letter of the law, literally. And what they allowed to happen in this moment was follow the law instead of loving someone else. Let that just kind of rattle around in your brain for a second. The priest and the Levite chose to follow the law of God, Old Testament, by the way. We're not under the same covenant. The laws are good for us to know. Ten Commandments, yes, I believe in them, but that doesn't mean that we are also bound to them like the Old Testament was. New covenant, new Jesus. If you want to know about that theology debate, I'd be happy to talk with you afterwards about it. But they followed the law instead of loving so go back to the, the person asking this question, the expert in the law. Oh, he's in a tough spot now, isn't he? Well, the laws of God say, if you come in contact with a dead person, you become unclean. Oh, we can't become unclean. That would be against God's, God's law. But he just answered the two greatest commands is loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself. So what did the priest and Levite choose to do in this moment? Now, we don't know exactly why they passed by. We can speculate because of the context and the culture of Judaism in that day. That there are laws that prevent them from doing certain things for other people. There are laws that prevent them from helping a dying individual in this scenario. So the priest and the Levite chose to, quote unquote, love God by following his laws, but left a man to die. Church, understand what Jesus is doing here. He's turning that upside down and on its head. This would radically forever change the world and his followers. Where he's saying, those laws you had in the Old Testament, those served their purpose. They were temporary. But I'm here now. This is Jesus saying, I'm here now. We're moving forward to something that is forever. Loving the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and all your mind. And loving your neighbor as yourself. As followers of Jesus, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, that's what we do. Like I said, we are plan A. There's no reason to ignore the needs of the people around us. That's how we love God. We love God by loving one another as ourselves. And that's what he was trying to get across. He was drawing a line saying, what used to be right is no longer right. Let me paint a clear picture of what following me looks like today. And it's still true for us today. 
So that was the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan. Now, Jesus could have ended the parable, ended the story there, and that would have proved his point, that we love other people. That's what it looks like. But he decided to keep going and flesh this out, and actually was very, very specific, and I think for a very intentional reason on why. If you keep reading through, look at what the Samaritan did next. Verse 34, Jesus tells a story. He says, he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. Then, it doesn't stop there. That helped in the moment. Look at what he does next. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two dinar. That would have been worth two days wages. So paid for him for a couple days at this inn. And he looked at the innkeeper and he told him, look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Interesting. Then he stops the story. So he doesn't just end with, and the Samaritan helped out. He actually, Jesus got real specific in that story of what he did and the timing that which he did it. And then he ends the story, and I would imagine because he just took the Jewish culture and turned it upside down on what it means to love God, follow God, and to love one another as yourself. He turned it all upside down, saying the priest and the Levite actually did wrong, and this despised Samaritan did what was right. That would have ruffled some feathers. And Jesus had to have looked around, and then he would have looked back at the man that asked that question, the expert in the law. And Jesus doesn't answer his question. In fact, he asked him another question, a different question, a slightly different question. Verse 36, Jesus said, Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Not was he a neighbor. It was which of these three was a neighbor. And I love the expert of the law was reply. Verse 37, the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And I, I'm going to make an assumption here. I, I do find it interesting that that expert in the law who would have been a Jew despising other Samaritans couldn't even bring himself to say the name the Samaritan. Right? Because Jesus was very clear. We have a priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan. Sounds like a joke you've probably heard, right? And in that moment, in that moment, he looks at this expert in the law and says, well, which one of those three characters was truly being a neighbor? And this expert in the law is going to have to force himself to say, this person that I despise. Can't even say the name Samaritan at all. Instead, he says, you know, that third one. Don't make me say it, Jesus. Don't make me. The, the one who had mercy on him. See, for us, Samaritan has become common language, hasn't it? In fact, we add a word in front of Samaritan. What do we call the what? The good Samaritan. And you have hospitals and you have nonprofits. You have all kinds of language. It's how we describe other people often of a good Samaritan. Good is not in this story. Jesus does never use the word good. He does use the word compassion to describe the Samaritan. So this expert in the law had to answer, well, you know, that, that one guy that actually helped out. Jesus very plainly said to end it, Go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. He was looking at a Jewish population saying, be like a Samaritan, not like your priest and not like the Levite. For them would have rocked their world. Be like that. Now, I told you Jesus didn't exactly answer this expert in the law's question. I think this is, is very, very intentional. And we can't miss this. It, it might sound like I'm just you know, arguing over a couple words here, but it really takes two different approaches. Go back and think. The expert of the law, he originally asked Jesus the question, who is my neighbor? Remember that? 
He said, who's my neighbor? Jesus, if here's my circle around me, who goes in, who goes out? Tell me exactly who is my neighbor. Jesus never answers that question. He looks back after telling the story. He says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor? Now, that's a huge difference of us asking Jesus, who is my neighbor? Who do I have to love? And Jesus asking the question instead of, who was actually just being a neighbor? Who was being that neighbor instead of, well, Jesus, who, who am I really supposed to love? Because the reality is, we don't know anything about the man that was in need. We know two things. He was a man and he was in need. That's it. We don't know his religion. We don't know his race. We don't know his money and financial status. We don't know where he has been from. We don't know exactly what business he had on that road. We don't know if he was a good person or a bad person. For all we know, maybe he was another band of robbers that got double-crossed by this other band of robbers and actually got what he deserved. We don't know any of that, do we? Oh, but we love to draw our line and say, I would love to love my neighbor as long as they are like that. Jesus makes it clear. Are you being a good neighbor? Stop worrying about who is your neighbor. I'd say it like this. May we be less concerned with who is our neighbor. Be less concerned with who your neighbor is and so much more concerned with just being a neighbor. The approaches are very different, very close in what Jesus was saying. The questions are close, but the approaches are night and day different. He said, stop worrying about who is your neighbor. Worry about being a neighbor to anyone and everyone who you cross paths with, regardless, regardless. Because we love going through the checklist of, I would love to help as long as you this, 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 and that. And I would imagine that was the checklist of the priest and the Levite. Oh, I would love to help as long as it meets my criteria. Versus the Samaritan that said, I'm here. I'm the only one that's stopping so far. I will do something. That is being a neighbor. May we not ask who is my neighbor, but may we just ask the question, the self-reflective question of, am I just being a neighbor to anybody that I cross paths with, anybody and everybody? So how does that actually flesh out? And again, I think there's a reason Jesus didn't just end it with, and the Samaritan helped and had pity on him, but he goes on and explains how the Samaritan truly helped. And we actually see this break up in two different categories. You could actually take your Bible and almost draw a line and see these two stages of helping. There's a, there's a part of the first stage that you have to have, though. Before you even get into helping, we see that the, the, Levi, or the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan all experienced the same thing. They saw, right? The priest saw the man and passed by. The Levite saw the man and passed by. The Samaritan saw the man and had pity on him. So all three saw this man in need. Two passed by, one actually stopped. And if you want to know where it all begins, if you want to really serve others, love others as yourself, love your neighbor, it starts with stopping. We have to be willing to stop so that we can truly start helping. The priest and the Levite, I would have guessed, had to have slowed down a little bit, right, to, to get to the other side, to, to cross over, to bypass this man. I'm sure they slowed down. I'm sure they were the curious rubbernecker, like, huh, wonder what happened to him. Don't touch him, right? It, it, they, they would slow down, but we don't see any evidence of them actually stopping. The Samaritan stopped. He saw, he had pity, and he stopped, and he went down, and then he went to this next phase of, Relief. See, there's these two phases we see the Samaritan working with. Relief 
and also restoration. You gotta have both. Both are vital, both are important. Relief and restoration. Here's an easy way for me to describe this. This morning, um, how many of you guys got coffee? Got coffee? Hold, hold on, if you got your coffee, some of you, racetracks, Starbucks, you didn't like the coffee I provide for you. That's all right, I'll take it personal. I'll take it personal. You can spend your money, that's fine. Um, so you've got coffee, right? Chances are good you showed up with coffee for one of two reasons, maybe both. One, you're addicted to it, and we have Celebrate Recovery every Tuesday night. So start there, start there. You're welcome, amen, yes. I'm not joking, any hurt, habit, hang up, that's a big one. You might actually find yourself there. Um, the other reason is because you're simply tired, right? You're just tired and you just, I just need my coffee. I can't function until I have my coffee, right? You're just tired. Now, the relief is what we do here, right? I just give you coffee, no questions asked. I don't charge you for it. I don't ask you if it's really necessary. I don't ask you if I'm helping add to your current addiction. I just give you coffee. That's it. You can have as much as you want. I just give you coffee. That's relief. Now, the restoration is another, is another process. Restoration would be me coming to you saying, oh, I heard you need coffee this morning. Step into my office. Let's talk. <laughs> and I would say, tell me about your week. How are you spending your time? Sounds like you're working too much. Sounds like you have kids. No wonder you're tired. <laughs> we, would, we would start talking through a process of, of identifying the true problem of tiredness instead of just masking it with more and more coffee. Do you see the difference there? Relief is immediate, and it's a short-term solution. You do need that, but yes, it's short-term. The restoration is also necessary, but you can't always start there. And what happens oftentimes where we want to help, but we also think, man, but I don't know if this handout is really going to help you. And there's some great resources out there. If you are someone that is truly compassionate and loves to help others, you have books like Toxic Charity. You have other books, When Helping Hurts. Great resources of helping navigate that dilemma of relief and restoration. But what, again, we see here with the Good Samaritan is he doesn't ask questions. He provides relief because it's necessary in the moment. You've heard the phrase, you can either give somebody a fish or teach them to fish. And most people say, well, man, just teach them to fish. I agree with that, but don't let somebody starve while they're learning to fish either. Give them the fish. Let them get full. Now we can teach you. Now we can walk through the process of restoration. The Samaritan stopped, and then he provided immediate relief. After the immediate relief, notice what he did. He took him to an inn. He took him someplace where he could be restored. The Samaritan wasn't even there the whole time. It says he brought him there, he took care of him, and then he left and asked the innkeeper, you take care of him, and I'll be back and I'll reimburse you. We have to take that same posture. We need to look for ways to provide immediate relief, but don't just leave them in their relief. That's short term. It's not going to help for long. How do we continue to restore people? And we partner with restoration. That's not a burden that we carry on our own. There are great partners. That's why as a church, we partner with like Abba House and Rick Rack and Meals by Grace, No One Alone, No Longer Bound. These are great resources that specialize in restoration that we can't do on our own. We take people to the place where there's restoration. But we have to have that. The priest and the Levite just walked by. The Samaritan said, I'll stop. I'll provide relief. I'll take you to a place where you can truly be restored. Last thing I want to leave you with. So how do we know exactly if we're being a good neighbor? What does that exactly look like? I believe good neighbors ask this one question. One question to constantly ask yourself, and it's not who is my neighbor, it's how do I leave people? How do I leave people? That's what a good neighbor asks. For the, for the priest, how did he leave the man left for dead? 
as a man left for dead. Good job. How did the Levite leave the man left for dead? As a man left for dead. How did the Samaritan leave the man left for dead? So much better. Bandage taken care of, taken to an end where he could begin to recover. How do you leave people? And may you start with your family. As Christians, we get really good at serving others, and we forget that others include your spouse, your kids, your siblings, your parents, your grandparents, your aunts, your uncles, your kids. Start there. How do you leave your spouse at the end of the day? How do you leave your kids at the end of the day? How do you leave your parents? How do you leave others after you interact with them? It's not your job to save them. It's your job to serve them. That's the job we've been given. We are plan A. Jesus was plan A to save us. He's done that, thank God. It's our job to serve on his behalf. May we do that well by simply saying, how do I love others? Well, how do I leave them? And to constantly be a good neighbor instead of asking who is my neighbor. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for such a great example of how we are to love one another. And that loving one another thing comes out of a love that we've got from you, that we've received from you first. So God, may it begin there. May we recognize what you have already done for us. You tell us that, that we love because you first loved us. And may that constantly be true in our lives. That we recognize and we are aware of the sacrifice and the love that you've poured out for each and every one of us. And as we call ourselves followers of you, may we follow in those footsteps of loving our neighbor as ourselves which then ultimately reflects our love that we have for you. God, may we stop asking the question, who is my neighbor, but just ask simply, how do I be a neighbor? Am I being a good neighbor? Ultimately, how do I leave people that I interact with? God, I pray that you put it on our hearts and our minds to begin with our family, that we look to serve our family first and foremost, and out of the overflow of that love, may we continue to serve and love others every single moment of every single day of our lives because it's what you've asked us and called us to do. We are your plan A for loving and taking care of one another. So Jesus, thank you for the way that you've served us. May we follow in your footsteps and do the exact same thing for others. In Jesus' name, amen.